0: Hi, this is Beth AQ, and this is the podcast of the Glasshouse, a weekly radio show that airs on Triple R each Wednesday. The Glasshouse is a space for spoken word artists, poets, sound makers, audio storytellers, emerging cultural leaders, thinkers, writers, and anyone who celebrates story as a means of self-expression, self-representation, and community building. I hope you enjoy the podcast, and feel free to get in touch via Twitter at Bethany AQ or the Triple R website. I acknowledge that we broadcast on stolen lands here at Triple R, the lands of the Wandari people of the Kulin Nation, who have cared for this land since time immemorial. I pay my respects to elders past and present and extend that to you if you are a First Nations person listening this afternoon. It always was and always will be Aboriginal land. Coming up on the show today, I'm so excited to be joined by incredible novelist and writer this afternoon, Jennifer Down. Her brand new book, Bodies of Light, details the story of Maggie. Opening with the present day, the story follows her throughout her early life, detailing how she became the person that she is today. And in many ways, Maggie has had quite a hard life, uh, bouncing from home to home as a young person, being in and out of foster care. But the story, I suppose, unfolds and, and shows us how our early years can be very formative in shaping us into the people that we are and that we become. But at its heart, it really explores themes of tragedy and pain and heartbreak, but it is honestly a truly stunning novel. Um, I've absolutely loved getting to read it. Um, Yeah, just Jennifer Down really brings this amazing world to life with such rich emotional depth. Um, Yeah, I'm so excited to be speaking with her. A content warning for that interview that will be coming up soon, though, I suppose, we will be discussing some heavy themes, uh, including potentially around sexual assaults, so do listen with care. Seeing my own face, recognisable, though in slightly warped proportions, gave me an awful feeling of unreality. It was like glimpsing an alternative universe in which I'd become a dead-eyed murder victim. I checked every mirror in the house for my reflection and tried to squash the rising panic. If I'm dead, I said to myself, walking around my house, then who feeds the dog, who pays the rent? Who puts food in the refrigerator, pears in the bowl, flowers on the table? I could feel myself slipping. That is an excerpt there of Jennifer Down's brand new novel. It's called Bodies of Light and this story follows the life of Maggie and it asks questions about care, about loss and about grief and what it means to reinvent ourselves and to try to heal from deep wounds. I'm so thrilled to be joined now on the line by Jennifer Down. Jen, thank you so much for your time this afternoon. Oh, Thank you for having me. It is such uh, such a pleasure to talk to you, big fan of your writing and have been for a very long time. I suppose before we dive into this new book, Jen, I know this is your third book you've written, uh, Our Magic Hour, and Pulse Points before this. I know that you have been working on this one for a while. I suppose for you, where did the threads of this story start?
1: Um, I think it sort of came from two uh, twin preoccupations or interests. Um, one of those was the uh, uh, i don't know it, it's kind of a um a, a dark morbid fascination with um with the untold stories of young people, particularly who grew up in um, residential and out of home care and um and now kind of you know I, I use the word care in inverted commas, I suppose, but um people who have uh, often survived quite traumatic experiences in care and the second uh, and totally unrelated preoccupation um, has has, always, has long been um, with the idea of kind of uh, reconstituting one's identity and starting a new life. I think it's kind of a, uh, it's a fantasy that a lot of us have at, at various points, you know, the, the idea of wiping the slate clean. But when you um, think about both the kind of practical side of that and what it entails, um, and also the uh, the psychic or emotional side of that, and what what that um, means. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it I think you get into really fascinating territory.
0: Yeah, absolutely. I can definitely relate to it being something that I've fantasised about and I think it is (laughs) quite, um, particularly probably right now, this moment we're living through, but I think it is a very, um, yeah, it's a common kind of fantasy to try to escape, um, yeah, a form of escaping your regular life, particularly if it has, like Maggie, been uh, full of really difficult, hard moments. Jen, I suppose something that's really clear to me when reading your work uh, is just how diligent I think you are with your research. You know, there's this real precision and detail in your writing that really gives these worlds such authentic emotional depth. And I'm interested, I suppose, when you are in the research stages of creating something like this, you know, you're kind of talking about these traumas. How do you, I suppose, metabolise all of these terrors when you're talking about lack of care in institutions that are meant are meant to provide care um
1: it's a really I don't know it was certainly a learning process I think um it was I I think I, to the question of how you metabolize it I don't I don't have a clear answer for that and I I have been thinking a lot about um you know things I could do differently next time to kind of approach it in a slightly healthier way because to be honest I didn't think about um what it meant to, to sit with this really distressing information or you know first person testimony um, for for quite long stretches at a time when I first started writing and I think I also had this I still I still have this idea that um, you know for a lot of us it's very easy to see uh, to kind of it's very easy to see our distress in relative terms right and so I would read this stuff and I would kind of be really horrified by a lot of what I was reading. Um, or I would have nightmares about, you know, things that I had read um, from, for example, uh, you know, parliamentary inquiries or uh, perennial inquest. And then my instinct was always to tell myself, well, you, you know, there are people who have it worse, which is true, right? Like there are people who actually, this was their lived experience. And I am uh, not a care survivor or care leaver. Um, but I think coming to view that as a spectrum, you know, I, I read a lot about kind of um uh, not trauma that's what I was trying to avoid <laughs> um <laughs> I I read a lot about vicarious. kind of second um vicarious trauma and you know which is really we know that that's a common thing among people in caring professions so nurses um social workers anyone who's in kind of a, a caregiving or um, caretaking capacity but um I, I think I I sort of always thought it was a bit um a bit naff or a bit I don't know. I, I didn't see that as applying to writers and journalists so much, and so it, yeah, it's taken me a little while to kind of come to grips with that idea that yes, I, I you know haven't I haven't sustained a great trauma or anything like that, but um, it's still important to to realise that you are dealing with very heavy subject matter, and that um, you need you need to come up for air sometimes too. Mm.
0: Yeah, even what you're saying and how it affects your sleep and coming up in obviously your subconscious in your nightmares, it obviously has a really big impact when you are kind of wading through these stories that are so real and so traumatic in in, in so many ways. Um, Jen, I'd love to talk uh, a little bit about Maggie. You know, the novel opens up with Maggie reading a Facebook message that's been sent to her that kind of plunges her deep into reflections of her life and as we've kind of touched on, Maggie has lived quite a a tough life in many aspects. She, uh, you know, her childhood is is peppered with people that are meant to keep her safe and that really can't or or they don't. You know, we see her failed by um, these people and and also the kind of of out-of-care system that she's bound up in. Can you tell me a little bit more about Maggie and and why she became your driving anchor for this story?
1: Yeah, so I I think... um I, I didn't realise this when I was writing it, but when I got to the end, and even you know, kind of gearing up toward publication and through the editing process, um, I I realised that it was it was a story of survivorship. But it's um, I kind of resist that idea that survivors need to be uh, packaged in a certain way or palatable in mm-hmm. order to have their stories matter. You know that that to be a survivor, you need to you making change in the world or you need to be an activist or you need to be presentable or this or that. And certainly there is a place for all of those, all of those, um, I don't know, identities, but I, I wanted to, I realized that what I'd wanted to do was to tell the story of somebody who kind of just against all odds kept dog paddling and kept, uh, pushing back against, uh, you know, unbelievably difficult circumstances. And, um, and not necessarily in a in a heroic way, but purely to to survive. Mm. Um, and I didn't realize that when I was writing it, but by the end it became, you know, I think a, a lot of the times, a lot of the time in survivor stories, we kind of look for some sort of redemptive arc. And I don't, that doesn't exist in this book necessarily. I think Maggie is a really complex character. She's not always likable. She makes some, you know, questionable decisions, but all of that is you know everything she does is um is very much informed by her past and her memory and her experiences um and and is often kind of a, a reflexive um you know response to things she's experienced at quite a young age.
0: Mm. I think that is so true and and so important, you know, sometimes uh, just existing is survival, and it, as you said, it doesn't need to be a heroic story. It is kind of just how many people have to live, and when you go through big, huge life things like Maggie has, I'd kind of I'd love to touch on what you just said. You know, Maggie is really bound up by um, systems that fail her, you know, systems that really endanger her and and, and a lot of the children that they're supposed to care for. And I think that there's this really interesting kind of overarching question in the book of what it really means to care for someone both, I suppose, within an institution but then just interpersonally and and what caring can and, and perhaps should look like and then also kind of perhaps how trauma can really break down the ways that we try to connect with others Can you talk to me a little bit about this concept of care and how it plays out throughout the story?
1: Yeah, absolutely. So I think, um, I I don't know, the the institutional question is is one that's difficult and I I still think about it constantly long long after having finished writing the book. But um, it's interesting to me that, you know, we as a society, it's like the abuse of children or abuse and or neglect. You know, there's a whole spectrum of things that goes on. And there are certainly also good stories as well, but um, you know the, the treatment of, of children in residential and out-of-home care is something that is just not covered by by media and never has been. And um, I am really fascinated by why that is. It's you know it's like it's, it's too painful for us to acknowledge, or is it that we just like literally don't care about children, or we're not interested in them, or we don't believe them? Um, like none of the, none of those options are. Sounds great. They all hurt my heart, in fact. But um, I think, so when I'm talking about resident, uh, sorry, when I'm talking about institutional abuse and systemic abuse, um, that's kind of shocking for us, I think, as humans, because we like to think that when we place vulnerable people, whether they're children or the elderly or unwell, when we uh, ask somebody to look after them or place them in care, we're kind of entrusting you know their well-being to somebody else, and when that is um, not only fails, but when you know a person's vulnerability is exploited, um, you know it's it's devastating. it's precisely, and maybe this sounds simplistic, but it's the exact opposite of what we are told is going to happen or what we believe is going to happen. If you ask somebody to care for somebody else and they not only you know fail that duty but they they cause them harm. Um, you know, it's almost the worst possible thing that that you can imagine, I think. Mm. Um, And then, of course, you know, that plays out at a kind of um, an individual level as well, because if you have suffered um, that kind of, if you've been failed by systems again and again and again that are, in theory, put in place to protect you and to nurture you, then, you know, I'm certainly not saying it's impossible for you to provide care to others i don 't believe that at all, but I do think it's really difficult you know to to go about your life um, because if if you don't have great modeling or if you haven't received that kind of nourishment, particularly as a as a young person mm.
0: yeah, absolutely, and you know I think that's that was far and few between for Maggie, and it is really kind of quite heartbreaking to read how yeah on that interpersonal level she is completely um Uh, disrespected is too light of a word, just uh, I can't think of what I'm trying to say, but it's exactly what you're saying. It is the direct opposite of care. You know, I I think that there are moments in the book when she's growing up that the kind of the kindnesses and love and warmth that are afforded to Maggie, um, you know, come through and I suppose a a character that really stands out to me that provides that for her is is Judith, who's um, one of her carers. You know, it's when Maggie's kind of going through the end of her high school years and and Judith is this character that um, I suppose is really encouraging her to stay in school, um, to prioritise her education. I suppose, can you speak to me a little bit about um, Maggie's family life and how that kind of changes throughout the book?
1: Yeah, certainly. So I think... um we don't know very much about Maggie's biological parents.
0: Um, she is
1: placed in resi when she is, I'm going to get this wrong and it's going to be embarrassing, it's either four or five. I think it's five. Um, I'm very bad at remembering numbers and there's a lot of them in this book, unfortunately. Um, but so she doesn't have a, a particularly uh, strong or present memory of either of her parents, so she spent a bit more time with her dad. Um, and then for various reasons, she's kind of shuttled through this series of um, of different accommodations, so uh, you know, which which is not uh, at all atypical. I think that some of us like to think or imagine that you know, if for whatever reason your biological parent is unable or unwilling to um, to raise you, then you, you go off to a nice foster family and maybe they adopt you or they become a permanent caregiver. Um, but the reality is that it's it's most very um, unfortunately very disrupted and uh, often quite a fractured existence. And there's a lot of cooks as well, right? You know there's mm-hmm. there are social workers, and um, often there are you know there's law enforcement or there are kind of legal issues involved as well. And um, so in in this story, Maggie Maggie's family models are kind of I guess diverse in some ways. um she, she stays with foster carers like Judith, who you mentioned, um who is also one of my one of my favorite characters, I think. Um, but she spends quite a bit of time in um, children's homes which uh, was a model that was quite popular through um, the, the latter part of the 20th century and still exists today. It's not, you know, they, they still exist. Um, but it was, at the time, it was a model where they tried to kind of replicate the, the traditional nuclear family. So you would have cottage parents who performed, you know, kind of domestic caregiving duties um, for a number of children. And a little later on, you know, that, that was kind of a model that predated... Um, Uh, foster care in some senses. And so Maggie experiences both of these models as well as, uh, you know, she spends a little bit of time as an adolescent living by herself because um, she's kind of outgrown the system, although not technically. And, again, that's not uncommon either for young people who are kind of, for whatever reason, are considered too difficult, quote, unquote, to be placed within the system. It's not unusual for them to be placed in temporary accommodation, you know, in a motel or or somewhere like that. Mm.
0: You're listening to a Triple R podcast. Discover more podcasts from Triple R, exploring science, technology, food, books, social issues, politics, and more. To listen, hit up the Triple R website or your favourite podcast platform. If you have just joined us, we are speaking with Jennifer Down all about her brand new novel. It's called Bodies of Light. Jen, I'd love to speak a little bit more about Maggie, you know, something that you've done so skillfully, I think, is kind of the way that you follow Maggie's story as she ages and the way, obviously, the way that we tell stories as as younger people changes throughout the years. And I think you've done a really amazing job at kind of honing in on all the small details that really paint a picture of what's going on without being overt, you know, the rattling of wind chime and what that represents, whether it's a smell that evokes a memory, a hand gesture, you know, I think that it's, yeah, it's an incredible feat that you've done throughout this book and, you know, as she kind of ages, as the book goes, you know, the way in which the story is told kind of changes. I'm interested, what was that writing process like, kind of having to think about how age informs um, the way in which we tell things and what we remember?
1: Yeah, I think, I don't know, it's really interesting. I, I, I don't know that it was such a conscious thing, but I, I did I did write it in a more or less linear way. So, um, I kind of started off with with young Maggie, and I guess, um, uh, yeah, it, it was a, it was more or less like a chronological approach um, that I took. And I don't know when it comes to detail. I think I mean I am kind of um, detail oriented as a person, anyway. But I think for a book like this, it becomes really important because um, I, I think for me, one of the big themes of the novel is that Maggie is trying to construct um, a sense of self or a a kind of personal record for herself in the absence of having the things that we, we might normally look to, you know, like family photographs or um, report cards from school or, you know, letters and things, these kind of artifacts, physical or, or paper, ephemera, these artifacts of self that most of us, you know, take for granted and, um, She's kind of like a magpie. She's trying to build that for herself um, in this retelling of her life. And so memory, um, we, know, we know it's fickle and we know that it can kind of be, be warped or changed by traumatic events as well. But um, it's, it, I think it's important for her as a character to be able to look back on things and um, in, in a way that memory is kind of her safety net and it's a way of making meaning um, mm. and, and drawing connections and so the small details you know from like a uh, a narrative perspective are things that I'm interested in, but from a character perspective they're also you know that, that that's who she is, and in some ways that's that's the only kind of residue of her uh personhood
0: mm. It's so true. I love that image of uh, the magpie connecting, collecting things for a nest. It is so spot on. Uh, you know, another thing that really stood out to me, I suppose, as a local um, reading this book is, is where this book is set. It's kind of set in a bunch of different places, but in many ways it feels like a celebration of kind of the outer suburbs of Melbourne. I'm interested, I suppose, how big of a role did place play in this book when you were thinking about how you would tell this story?
1: Oh, huge. I mean, yeah, I, I'm kind of obsessed with Place as a as a writer um, anyway, but uh, this one is, is probably more than most things I've written. It's very grounded in, especially the first half, it's very grounded in places that I'm familiar with. And so, you know, the, the kind of suburbs that um, that Maggie has bumped around when she was a child, the sort of outer southeastern suburbs of Melbourne, you know, Frankston, Dandenong, are... Uh, Cranburn, Mordialic, Mentone, they're all kind of the suburbs of my childhood. And um, it's in, my mum grew up um, in Dandenong and, uh, you know, during the 70s, which is, is when the narrative begins. And when I first started writing this, my mum was actually kind enough to come around Dandenong with me in the car. We drove around um, and, you know, she would point out things and tell me um uh you know she'd she'd be like, "Oh, that's the old uh Prince Mark or this is where you know such and such a textile shop used to be this is this is what the market smells like on on Wednesdays or market days um and so yeah, there was a lot of research that went into it, but i was also I was also lucky to be able to lean on you know that personal experience or or even yeah, second hand personal experience.
0: I love that idea of um bringing your mum along to help you do the research that's that's beautiful um <coughs> Jen, I suppose at the heart of this book is really, I think, a lingering uh, through line about the cycles of trauma and I suppose what it means to to try and, and reinvent ourselves. And in many ways, it feels like a question of, of how much pain you know, and trauma one person can go through and then what does that aftermath of that look like? What... Uh, the reverberations of abuse and how does that play out in our families and the way we try to love, the people we try to love. Like, is it possible to recreate ourselves? I suppose, before I let you go, can you speak to, I suppose, how Maggie moved through some of those traumas and what you think it says about whether or not um, recreating ourselves is, is even possible?
1: Yeah, I think... Um Something I was really conscious of when I was writing this was, um, and, you know, I, I hope it's not like a, a super bleak or punishing book, but there is, you know, seems and you as a lot, as you say. And when I was writing it, I could almost feel this, uh, this imagined reader or, or, like, audience or something going, I, this is unbelievable. This is, like, too much bad stuff happening to one person. But, uh, you know, the, the reality is that there is a, a whole lot of comorbidity involved in some of these factors, right, like substance abuse, Uh, is is not caused by, uh, you know, whatever, early childhood trauma, but um, certainly like uh, a massively traumatic event during childhood or a series of losses or, or, you know, those kinds of things um, can can be a factor in somebody turning to substances to kind of alleviate um, some of the pain they're feeling. And so that was something that I was hyper aware of and... I don't know, in terms of being able to recreate yourself, I think um, I certainly don't think we're kind of fixed and static as humans or anything like that. I think you know we're all incredibly capable of change. But in terms of uh, you know becoming an entirely new person almost, um I think that's really, really difficult because we can't you know you can you can <laughs> you can wear contact lenses or you can change your name or you can you know you can you can change. Certain elements of yourself, certainly. Um, But things like memory really exist in this, you know, we can't excise, um, you know, things like memory and even accents and things have proven really difficult for people to change. And so I think, like, we are malleable and we're changeable as people, absolutely. And I, you know, like, as an example, I believe in rehabilitation. I I don't think that anyone is kind of uh, fixed in their personality, you know, or foibles or anything like that. But I do think, um, I think we're asking a lot of people if we're asking them to completely invent a new life because we carry necessarily all of this past experience um, with us as we
0: go. Hmm. Jen Diang, it has been such a privilege to read your words and a pleasure to talk to you this afternoon. Thank you so much for your time.
1: Thank you so much for having me, Beth. It was lovely.
0: That was Jennifer Down there talking all about her brand new novel. It is called Bodies of Light. It is out next week through text publishing. You are listening to Triple R. You're listening to The Glass House. That is it for The Glass House today. I do want to say a big heartfelt thank you to Jennifer Down for speaking to me this afternoon all about her book Bodies of Light. It is truly a phenomenal book. I highly recommend picking it up and it is out through text publishing. I'm going to be back with you next Wednesday from one o'clock. Keep it locked to Triple R. This is Beth AQ. Thanks for listening to the podcast of The Glass House, a weekly radio show that airs on Triple R each Wednesday. We hope you enjoyed the podcast and feel free to get in touch via Twitter at Bethany AQ or the Triple R website.